You know, their, their ministry is teaching truth by making fun of things. Pretty good mantra, isn't it, for them? So if you like sarcasm, you loved it. If you don't, you're probably offended by that. So I apologize. I'm sarcastic, so I found that. And, you know, this is one of those doctrines, right? Even, even the coins in uh, the United States try to, try to somehow articulate this idea, e pluribus unum, out of the many one. But the problem, the problem with trying to understand the Trinity is uh, we, we have to use created things to uh, explain the Creator, which is impossible. And that's frustrating for us, isn't it? I mean, <clears throat> we want to we understand and even more, we want to control. But the Trinity, you know, there are, there are mysteries about God that we will never understand. And, and, you know, if you have to understand them, then you're never going to come to God. The, f- the first rule is those that come to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And, and that's faith. It's not a blind leap. Faith is not a blind leap. It's not a jump into an abyss. But it's based on, here's what God says, and these are the promises of God. Now, are you going to believe that? And, and even to come to Jesus Christ. That's really what it's all about. You're putting your trust, you're banking your eternal future on something you can't see. Jesus even said, talking to those who had seen Him, He said, blessed are those whose eyes have not seen and yet believe. And and that's what faith is. And, And so... You know, the, the Scriptures, I tell people, if you want to understand what's going on in the world, read the newspaper. If you want to understand what's going on in the invisible world, read the Scriptures. Because if you're not reading the Scriptures, and if you don't understand, there's this whole other world next door. You're missing, you're missing a giant part of reality. The Trinity is a truth we can't comprehend except through the eyes of faith. But we can proclaim it. That's what that Athanasian creed is all about. That's what that's all about. It's, it's laying out the truth of this mystery of who God is. While we can't understand, we can understand is how they always work distinctly, each according to his own personality, but harmoniously in concert with one another. And this morning, I want to take a look at that along two lines. The first one, along the line of salvation. 
In salvation, here's what we're told. We're told that all three members of the Godhead, the entire Trinity, is at work in a particular way so that we are saved. And the best example in Scripture is 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. Listen to this because it captures all three members of the Trinity. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So, so there it is. There's the first member of the Trinity. Peter's writing to these believers who are dispersed and scattered, and he wants them to know that their salvation has been enacted by the foreknowledge of God. This is God purposing His people to come to Him. By the foreknowledge of God in the sanctification of the Spirit. We're going to talk a lot next week about the Holy Spirit and spiritual warfare. And in covering that, we're going to talk about all the things that the Holy Spirit does to bring us to Christ. Starting with, starting with drawing us to Christ. Including convicting us. Bringing us to Christ. Making us new creatures. And then as it says here, for the sanctification, in the sanctification of the Spirit. Sanctification simply means the purpose for which something was made. If something is sanctified, it simply means it has finally found the purpose for which it was made. And so the Spirit makes sure that the people, that, that the Father brought about by His foreknowledge, that they end up for the purpose for which He called them. And then it says, finally, this is the third member of the Trinity involved in salvation. For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. So, here's what we know. We were purchased by the blood of Christ. And when we say the blood of Christ, we're talking about the life of Christ. Right? When, whenever you're talking about the blood of Christ, you're talking about the life of Christ. We're going to celebrate communion here at the end. And we're going to reenact how His death gave us life. So that, so that we might be obedient, as I said earlier, to His command. To love. He makes it possible for us to love through uh, obedience. And, it, and it's not this rigid, I must do this. It's this deep desire to do it out of love. It's, it's our love response to all that He has done for us. And the sprinkling of His blood. His, the giving of His life. And then He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So let me just sum up here. This is what it, this is what it looks like. For your salvation, salvation is purposed by the Father. He purposed it. This is what we're going to do. This is the plan. 
It was accomplished by the Son. So the Son took that purpose and made it happen. He accomplished it. And He accomplished it. And, and this is one of, the, one of the reasons for the Trinity, by the way, is that for Jesus to accomplish this, He had to become a man. But for Him to accomplish it as a man, He had to be God. And it was only accomplished that way. It, 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 would, it could not be accomplished by God alone. Justice couldn't. God demanded justice and a sacrifice and a payment. And, he, and it required that a man make that payment. But for a man to make that payment, he had to be a man who also was God. So it was accomplished by the Son, and then, and then, and this is the work of the Spirit. Jesus said, I send you another comforter or paraclete or someone like me, exactly like me, only in the Spirit so that He can indwell all the believers. And here's what He's going to do. This is His great work. He's going to take all the work that I've done everything that I've accomplished, and He's going to apply it to all of you. So, so the Father purposed it, our salvation. The Son accomplished it. And the Spirit applied it. Unity in diversity. So that's, that's the um, trinity at work in our salvation, but I really want to delve into spiritual warfare. Usually when we talk about spiritual warfare, we typically think of fighting the devil, don't we? I mean, generally, when people talk about spiritual warfare, they go to Ephesians 6, and, and it's a good text, and it should be looked at, and they talk about the spiritual armor, put on the spiritual armor. But you need to know something if you're going to be victorious. You know, this political season, <laughs> spiritual warfare should be being talked about, shouldn't it? <laughs> One of the reasons that Christians should be praying, Christians shouldn't be praying for Trump to win or Biden to win. Christians should be praying so that they engage in spiritual warfare. Because there's a lot of spiritual warfare taking place, not just in this country, but around the world, but right now, especially in this country. But at the same time, spiritual warfare is more than fighting the devil. Do you know that the moment you receive Jesus Christ, the salvation of Jesus Christ, you had three new enemies in the world? And you, you entered into a conflict that you didn't sign up for. And, and for some believers, after they come to Christ, it's actually a surprise. Like, why did life just get harder? Well, here's why. You gained three new enemies that used to be on your side. That you were actually a part of. 
And what were those enemies? It's actually three realms. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And if you're going to talk about spiritual warfare, you've got to talk about all of those realms. Each, just pay attention to this now, each member of the Trinity has a charter and a particular power over one of these enemies. The world, and when we talk about the world, we're talking about the world system. We're not talking about the physical world. We're talking about the world system. We're talking about the way the world works, what the world wants, what the, what the world pushes on us. The world is the external foe and is conquered by the Father. You're never going to overcome the world unless you engage the Father in that struggle. The devil is the infernal or the hellish foe and is conquered by the Son. Jesus, Jesus throughout his ministry had to deal with the devil and demons. And they were constantly, they were constantly trying to either kill him or stop him. And it started with his birth. But the wonderful thing is, sometimes people ask me, they say, should I pray out loud because the devil hears my prayers? <laughs> and I think he's going to write it down. It's like, well, when you pray, do you pray to Jesus? Do you pray in Jesus' name? Is Jesus there? Well, yeah, you're fine. Because <laughs> I guarantee you, where Jesus is, the evil one doesn't want to be. So, so you have to engage the Son in that kind of warfare, the, the warfare with the evil one. And then this is the one we miss, and this is the one I'm going to spend all next week's sermon, I'm going to dedicate to the third realm of the conflict or the third enemy that we have, and that's the flesh. You know, the world is the external, the devil is the infernal, the flesh is the internal. You have a traitor inside of you. And he or she has been there since you were born. The flesh is the internal foe. And here's the thing. The flesh is only conquered by the Spirit. You can't, you can't do it by memorizing Scripture. You can't do it by praying. There's no plan. There's no formula. You have to, you have to learn to walk by the Spirit. Because again... When the Spirit is there, when the Spirit is operational in full power, the flesh is defeated. Let's talk about first overcoming the world. And, and the text we use for this, we're going to use three primary texts. Overcoming the world, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. So here we go. They're up on the screen. So John is writing, and he's talking about how to overcome the world. And as I said before, it's the world system. 
do not love the world or the things of the world. That doesn't mean you can't appreciate a sunset, you can't enjoy a nice meal, you can't enjoy life as you live it. It just means be aware that there's a very seductive philosophy and goal of this world. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see that? You see how, you see how one is played against the other? It's the world or it's the Father. Let me draw some things out of this. First, I want to talk about, again, what is the world and what is it driven by? Here's, here's what it says up here in the text. It says, here's what the world consists of. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. What is that? When I was growing up, this was, I read this and it was the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And typically when we think of lust, we think of sex. But it's much more than that. I like the word desires here because it's all the things that you covet. The first two things, the lust of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, that's all the things that you covet in this world. And it, and it runs along two lines. First, it runs along the line of the hungers that we have, sex included, but food, um, you know, you, 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 see, you go visit someone and they have a much bigger house than you do and nicer furniture, better stuff. And you go home and no matter how nice your house is, you feel like, I wish I had that house. Right? That's, that's the flesh. That's, Jesus had to deal with that when the, when the evil one said, turn these stones into bread. He was appealing to his hunger. That's, a, that's physical desires that we have. And then, and then the, what are the desires of the eyes? Those are the aesthetic things, you know? That's, that's a Picasso painting. Or a nice sculpture. Or, or some beautiful thing that you see. And you say, man, I'd like to have that. And, and, and these are the things that the, that the world pushes on us, advertises to us, and here's what it says. These things will make you happy. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with these things. You just can't buy into the lie that if you have them, you're going to find ultimate satisfaction, because you're not. So these are the things that you covet. Now, what is the pride of life? It's, it's actually should be translated the pride of livelihood. So if you want these things, whatever they are, physical things or aesthetic things, what happens when you get them? Ah, look what I have. See, that's, that's the pride of livelihood. 
And that's what the world pushes as to what will satisfy you. Here's some other things to pull out of these verses. Loving the world and loving the Father are mutually exclusive. Do you see that? The love of the world will push out the love of the Father, and the love of the Father will push out the love of the world. All that is in the world is not from the Father. These things that we've talked about, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, that did not come from God. That's not from God. So how could you love these things if they're not from God? If you're a child of God. Here's another one. The world is passing away. If I came to you and I said, I've got a condominium I want to sell you, and I'm going to make you a really good price, but I need to tell you, next week, the whole building is going up in smoke. Would you buy that from me? No, that's, that's John's simple point here. He says, these things are passing away. Here's what loving God means. Loving God means doing his will and abiding forever. Loving God means um, doing his will and abiding forever. Did you ever wonder why Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer? Because it's our Father. It's like, what about the rest of the Trinity? Well, here's why. If you think about that prayer, everything in that prayer is about things that you want. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. See, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not coveting somebody else's bread. Who am I depending on? I'm depending on the Father. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Now listen, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And every time you say that prayer, you know what you're doing? You're renouncing the world. People say, doesn't God already know what we're going to ask for? Yes. So why does he make us ask for it? Because he knows that you have a propensity to be independent from him, so independent that after a while, if you get bread that he gives to you, you'll think you got that bread on your own. Or that the world gave it to you. Here's what he says, ask and you shall receive. Does God want to give you all that you need? Yes. But you know what else he wants? He wants you to be totally dependent on him because you're going to be dependent on something and you were made to be dependent on him. Let's talk about overcoming the devil quickly. And this is the famous passage, Ephesians 6.10 Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Boy, you talk about schemes of the devil. That's what's going on right now in the world, right? There's a lot of schemes of the evil one taking place. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not about Republicans and Democrats, really. 
There's just a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that nobody knows anything about. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over, these present, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And remember, the heavenly places are not in outer space. They're right next door. They're in this room. You just can't see them. The devil has three tactics that he uses over and over again. Accusation, temptation, and lies. He's the accuser of the brethren, so he, so he nails you for what you've done, and then he tempts you to do some more. And he does it with lies. Here are his four lies. God is bad, sin is better, you don't measure up, and nobody cares. Those are his four big lies. Here's what I've discovered about the devil's tactics. It's not your head spinning you know, around like the Halloween stuff that's being presented. This is how I always know the evil one has been there. Wherever you find discouragement, confusion, and disillusion, you'll know the evil one is at work. Do you know that when you look at Ephesians at that armor, and we're not going to look at every piece, but I just want you to know, every piece of that armor represents something that Christ can bring to your life. First and foremost, it's the belt of truth. What does that mean? It means only Jesus can help you see the full reality of life. What is truth? Truth is reality. Truth is not what you want it to be. Truth is what is real. And only Jesus can help you understand that there's a visible world you need to understand, but there's an invisible world you, un you need to understand as well. So you start with the belt of truth because everything hangs on the belt. Then the, the chest plate of righteousness, and what does that protect? This is the area of your emotions. When, when you feel angry or sad or disgusted or afraid, your body's going to feel it. You're going to feel it here. And the righteousness of Christ is the only thing that can protect you because it will remind you that God loved you enough to make you His son or daughter and bestow upon you the gift of God, which is eternal life and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Then, you know, there's the, there's the shoes which always stabilize, but these are the shoes which allow you to take that message that you've heard and give it to others. It's the readiness of the gospel. And it's the, the helmet of salvation. As, as the chest plate covers the emotions, the helmet of salvation covers the mind so that you think straight. Then there's the shield of faith. And what is that? I take the promises of God and I believe them. And that causes the fiery darts the lies and the guilt aimed at me to fall short and, and, to, and to be, for me to be protected by the shield of faith. And then, and then finally, the, the, <laughs> the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So, I, so when I am attacked, I can go on the offensive. I can actually use Scripture and claim a promise and believe a reward and use that to counter when the evil one attacks me. That's how you overcome 
That's how you overcome the uh, evil one. So we overcome the world, we overcome the evil one last, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time because this is next week's message. Overcoming the flesh is really overcoming the old nature. You were born with an old nature. When you receive Jesus Christ, you have you got a whole new nature. And the old nature lost its rule in your life, but it's still there. And it still wants to regain the throne. It still wants to influence. And here's where you feel that internal conflict. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Again, mutually exclusive, right? If you walk by the Spirit, the desires of the flesh, and the main desire of the flesh is to rule your life, to to bring you satisfaction, to fill up that emptiness inside of you without God. That's the deep desire of the flesh, because the flesh wants to rule. Walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's that internal conflict. Here's how Paul describes it, Romans 7. He says, I find myself, the things I want to do, I'm not able to do. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. You know what that is? That's, that's the internal battle between the old nature and the new nature. And we're going to talk next week how the Holy Spirit helps us to overcome that, ba- that, that evil, that old nature, that flesh, so that we are victorious. Let me close with this. The devil will occasionally leave you. <laughs> Remember Jesus said, be gone. James says, resist, resist the devil and he will flee from you, right? The devil, the devil will leave you. The world will lose its allure. Have you, have you had those times where you're like, you know what, I don't really care. <laughs> that stuff used to be important to me. It's not important at all. The world will lose its allure. However, the flesh is always there. The flesh is always there. Like every moment, the flesh is there. There was a chaplain in World War II who fought in the South Pacific, and this is what he said. He said, you know, occasionally there were days when the Japanese planes wouldn't fly, and the Japanese ships and subs wouldn't come against us. But he said, rust was there every day. We scraped so that we could paint, so that we could scrape again. In other words, there were people assigned to painting the ship every day of uh, being a soldier. And, and that's what the flesh is like. It's It's incessant. It's always there. And, and the only way, and the, the reason we're told to walk in the Spirit is because it is moment by moment, step by step, day by day, 
And we have to learn. We have to learn to walk in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, even these difficult doctrines to believe in. And um, we thank you, Lord, that you have, you have given us yourself. You've given us the Father to overcome the world. You've given us the Son to overcome the evil one and the enemy. And we can win that battle because Christ has defeated him. And you've given us the Spirit, Lord, so that even that conflict that we feel inside can be overcome as well. So we thank you for that. We thank you for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.